All right, let's begin our sermon with prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts uh, be pleasing in your sight this final, this final Sunday in 2023. We ask you to bless us as we study your word, and today we especially ask you to fill our hearts with peace. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. All right, so last week on Christmas Eve, we read and we heard the famous story of Jesus' birth, right? And you guys are familiar with that story. You have uh, Mary and Joseph traveling all the way to Bethlehem, and, uh, and when they got there, there was no room available for them, couldn't even crash in a guest room in somebody's house, and so they had to, it seems, rent a stable and stay there for the night. And then it was there in that humble stable that Mary ended up giving birth to baby Jesus. And because she didn't have clothes or a crib for him, um, she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and placed him in a manger. Meanwhile, there were shepherds living out in the fields and uh, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel appeared to them. In fact, a whole choir of angels appeared to them and announced to them the good news that the Savior had come and they could go find him and worship him. So they followed the angel's instructions. They went looking for a baby in a manger and they found probably the only one, the only baby in a manger in all of Bethlehem. And they got down and worshipped him and then they went off to, to go tell the good news to others. And, and meanwhile, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And that, typically, is where the story ends. Jesus has been successfully born, and Christmas is over. Uh, but the point of today's sermon is, like, what happened next? Um, Jesus just wasn't suddenly an adult. He wasn't even suddenly a 12-year-old going to the temple. Like, what happened immediately after Christmas? So today's sermon text that we'll read progressively as we study it, it is the very next verse. After Jesus has been born, what happened next? So the first thing that happened presumably, is that they found a spot to stay that was not a stable, right? The stable was kind of an emergency thing. I don't know if Mary and Joseph got there late at night. I don't know if they couldn't find anybody that first day. But do you remember the reason why Mary and Joseph were going specifically to Bethlehem, of all places? It's because Bethlehem was Joseph's ancestral hometown. He had family there. So I'm sure that like the next day or as soon as possible, they went and found a house to stay in with some of Joseph's relatives. And they stayed there for quite a while, uh, certainly for the whole next month, as they carried out the different customs that were required by, by Jewish law. So what were those customs? Well, God had told the Jewish people that one of their sons was going to be the promised savior of the world. So if you were Jewish and you had a son, a firstborn son particularly, there were certain rules that you have to follow. If you want to learn all the rules for firstborn sons, I would encourage you to go to Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 12 and by all means enlighten yourself with the full rules for firstborn sons. I'll just tell you briefly what Mary and Joseph did. First, they had to wait seven days for Mary to become ceremonially clean after childbirth. Then, on the eighth day, Jesus was circumcised, which is a sign of God's covenant with his people. And then he was officially named, and he received the name Jesus, which means the Lord saves. Very fitting name for the Son of God, if you think about it. 
And then about 33 days later, so it's now been about a month and a week, Mary and Joseph took Jesus on a trip to the temple, which was five miles away. They went to the temple to make a specific sacrifice, and that is where our text kicks in. So here we go. It's the next verses from Luke 2 after the famous Christmas story. It says, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So what's going on? And what's with the animals? And what's with the pigeons? Well, maybe you remember back in the Old Testament at the Passover time, God had rescued the firstborn sons of all the Israelites, right? By means of a sacrifice that died on their behalf. So ever since then, if you had a firstborn son, the way that you would like dedicate your son as part of the Israelite nation is that you would offer a sacrifice for him. And the sacrifice for your firstborn son was a year-old male lamb. However, if you were really poor and you couldn't afford a lamb, you could do the backup sacrifice of just two young doves or pigeons, and that's what Mary and Joseph did for Jesus. So, right away, we're learning some things about Mary and Joseph. Uh, Before Christmas, you know, we heard about how the angel appeared to Mary and the angel talked to Joseph, and you're trying to sort of envision their relationship, uh, what was all of this like for them. But now we're learning a little more about the character of Mary and Joseph. First, Mary and Joseph are doing the things that spiritually they're supposed to do. They are following God's laws. They're doing everything they can to make sure their child is connected to God's love. Um, Maybe you would compare this today to like parents who value bringing their children to baptism. Parents who value bringing their kids to Sunday school. Um, reading Bible stories with them, teaching them about their Savior, right? Recognizing it's important at an early age to connect our children to God. Now, Mary and Joseph's son also is God, but this is the kind of parents that they are, and this is the kind of parents that they're always going to be. So they're connecting young Jesus to the covenant that God has made with Israel. Second thing we learn about Mary and Joseph is that they are very poor. They couldn't afford the lamb, So they had to settle for the doves or the pigeons. And uh, Mary and Joseph are going to continue to be poor. I think surprisingly to a lot of people, Jesus does not come from the rich elite, but he's going to be raised by a very ordinary working class family. A family that's not even just at the poverty line, but probably below the poverty line. Okay, so what happens next? Mary and Joseph are going through the usual, you know, rites and customs at the temple. I think for our sake, we would say maybe it's like having your baby baptized at church, this kind of a thing. And all of a sudden, something very unusual takes place. There was a man in Jerusalem, it says, called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, 
which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. So that was not something that normally happened when you brought your child for the customary sacrifice, is that an old prophet comes and grabs him and starts prophesying about him. Uh, but Mary and Joseph don't say, hey, what are you doing? Give me my baby back. Because they understand. This is God's prophet. And these are God's words. And their baby is the bringer of salvation that not just Israel, but the whole world has been waiting for for thousands of years. But that doesn't mean he's going to have an early life, going to have an easy life. And it doesn't mean his parents are going to have an easy life either. As we continue... The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. But then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So Jesus is going to be a controversial figure. He's going to be a figure that creates some conflict and division. And he's going to cause problems that are going to come even into Mary's own life. You wonder if, as Simeon says this, Mary's kind of wondering, like we're all wondering, what, what does this mean? What is he talking about? But 33 years later, as her son hung on the cross, I think Mary understood all too well what this was talking about. Her son was not here on earth just to make her proud, and to be with her, and to accompany her, and also to care for her and comfort her in her old age. Her son was not going to make it into her old age, because he was going to die on the cross, painfully, as a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And when that happened, it would be like a sword piercing her own soul, too. So this is a lot to process as someone's saying all this about your one-month-old baby. And you wonder how much of this Mary and Joseph are even catching and realizing. But, but there's more. It says, There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow up until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So it's more of the same content. It's the same thing over again. Another prophet sent by God with another message reminding Mary and Joseph and everybody there that their baby really was the promised Savior. So by sending two prophets in the same morning at church, uh, God is leaving no doubt this is not some kind of a fluke or an accident. This one-month-old baby is not just Mary's son. It's God's son. It is the Savior of the world. So this is a major event in Jesus' life. It's certainly a major event in Mary and Joseph's life as they're reminded who their baby really is. But for the sake of our time here this morning, let's focus on the song or the poem that Simeon shared here. What exactly does he say about Jesus? Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. 
So, one of the things that Simeon immediately highlights here is that Jesus is going to bring peace. This baby is going to bring peace. And that makes sense. If you've read your Old Testament scriptures, the prophet Isaiah, when he talked about the coming Savior, said that he was going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And more recently, on Christmas night, you remember what the angels had sung to the shepherds. They said, Peace on earth and goodwill to men. Clearly, Jesus came to bring peace. And this is a key theme at Christmas time today, too, right? You see this word peace probably all over like throw pillows and wall decorations, and it's in our Christmas carols, uh, sleep in heavenly peace, and just kind of this idea of peacefulness around the holiday. I was looking through some Christmas carols this week, and I stumbled upon this one. This is verse 3 of O Holy Night. And maybe you'll recognize this verse. It says, Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. And it's a beautiful verse of that song when you're singing it, when you're listening to it. And it's this picture of like Jesus is going to bring peace to our world and he's going to bring an end to conflict. And that sounds beautiful. That sounds like what we need. (coughs) But here then is the big question. If Jesus is the Prince of Peace, where is the peace that Jesus came to bring? Is it peace between nations? Doesn't seem like it. I mean, shortly after Jesus' life, there was a massive war. The Romans came in and completely destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. And there's been wars ever since. On New Year's Eve today, I don't know if you'll look at like a highlights and lowlights of the year type of a feature, but it'll show you the things that happened in 2023. And there were all kinds of wars, right? There was Russia versus Ukraine. There's been Israel versus Palestine. Just the latest in kind of the international lack of peace. So where is the peace that Jesus brings? Is it peace in our own country? I mean, not really. We have crime and and conflict and we have politics. I mean, 2024 is going to be another election year. Are you guys ready for everything the election year is going to bring? And just the lack of peace and the division and, and maybe like the hateful things that we hear from probably people on both sides of politics. And that's not going to be a peaceful year. So where is the peace that Jesus brings? Is it peace in your own life? Maybe. Or, or maybe not. I don't know what your 2023 was like, but... We have health troubles, we have financial troubles, we have relationship troubles, we have marriage troubles, we have so many troubles that sometimes we're practically brought to our knees by the stress and anxiety of all of it. That's not very peaceful. So if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, where is the peace that he brings? Where do we see it in our world? How can we see it in our life? Well, the fact is we do have peace, but it is a deeper and a more important peace than maybe we realize. It's peace with God. Because at the bottom, all of the conflict and violence and war and trouble in this world, it all has its roots in a deeper war, which is the rebellion of mankind against their creator. Long ago, God created human beings in his image, 
But ever since Satan tempted Adam and Eve to eat that forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, every human being ever since has been born in a war, born in a rebellion against God. Doesn't mean we refuse to admit that God exists, but it does mean that we don't want God to be in control. We don't want to follow God's commands. We would like to be in control. We would like to call the shots. We would like to be our own God. And so mankind's rebellion against God has ruined our relationship with him, just like it messes up all of our relationships with each other. But Jesus came to fix our relationship with God and to give us peace in our relationship with God. So how did he do that? Well, he really did it in two ways. The first one was by living a perfectly obedient life. And we hear like the beginning of this in the final verse of our text. It says, Joseph and Mary did everything required by the law of the Lord. They returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And there, the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Jesus began to live what would continue to be a life of perfect obedience to God. It was the only life of perfect obedience to God that has ever been lived. It's a life that atones for our imperfect and often selfish lives. It's a life so good that it pulls us back into a connection with God. But as a result of an exchange for our connection to God, Jesus was going to be separated from God. 33 years after this, Jesus would be hanging on the cross of Calvary, once again in the same city of Jerusalem. And what would he cry out on that cross? He would cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Jesus knew why God had forsaken him. It's because he was suffering God's rejection. He was suffering hell in our place for our sins as our substitute so that we could have peace on a cosmic, eternal, spiritual level with God. This is what Jesus came to do. This is the peace that Jesus came to bring. And Paul talks about this in the book of Romans. He says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, this status of peace and grace that we now have with God. So December 31st, last Sunday of the year, just take a minute and apply this truth to yourself in your spiritual life, in your moral life, in your heart, in your conscience. You have peace with God through Jesus. And that peace is there despite whatever sins you've done in the past, despite whatever sins you're struggling with in the present. That peace with God is there. Despite whatever chaos is going on in the world, despite whatever chaos is going on in your life, that peace is there. Peace with God is in your heart, and it is a peace that lasts. It lasts beyond the messiness and the brokenness of this sinful world. It lasts all the way to the eternal life that God has prepared for you in heaven. Right now, through faith in Jesus, you do have peace with God. And so did Simeon. So he said, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you can now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, 
God had told Simeon he was not going to die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And God was true to his word. Now Simeon had seen his Savior. Now he could depart in peace. But what does that mean? When Simeon said, now I can depart in peace. Does that mean that he could, you know, leave and then go die? Eventually. But we don't know when that happened. We know that the prophetess Anna was super old. It's said in the text that she, what, she was married for seven years and then was a widow until she was 84. But I think the better way of translating that in Greek is that, like, she made it to be married, seven years of marriage, widowed, and then 84 more. So Anna's probably over 100. She is super old. Maybe she's going to go to heaven pretty soon. But we don't know about Simeon. He might have been 100. He might have been 50. He might have been 30. Uh, but he leaves on this day from the temple and he says, now I'm going and I'm departing in peace. Even though he was going back to a messy, chaotic world and back to his own messy, imperfect life, Simeon says, I am departing in peace. What was that peace? Well, it's peace that comes from knowing that his Savior was here to make him right with God. And it's peace that comes from knowing eventually the day will come when that Savior will make all things right for all of us. Simeon had peace, and it was like a, like a deep anchor in his own heart underneath everything else swirling around him. But also it was a peace that was to be brought out and shared with others. And brothers and sisters, that's, that's the kind of peace that you have too. So, I don't know what your Christmas celebration was like. Some of you guys are watching online or watching this later. I don't know how you celebrated Christmas this year. Maybe it was incredibly peaceful. Maybe it was this beautiful, cozy, like, textbook Hallmark holiday. And you're coming off of Christmas feeling so rested that you're, you're just saying, like, my heart is full. Maybe that's what your Christmas was like. I hope that's what your Christmas was like. But maybe it wasn't. Maybe this was the Christmas that your car broke down and your kids were sick or you fought with your spouse or you lost a loved one. And as a result, maybe you're going into this new year not feeling peaceful at all but feeling deeply stressed. Either way, you have peace with God through your Savior, Jesus Christ. It is peace that does not depend on your circumstances. It is peace that passes all understanding. It is peace like a deep anchor in your heart underneath everything else, but it's also peace that's meant to be brought out and shared with others. And so I pray that God would bless all of us as we walk into this new year, living in his peace, but also looking to share that peace with a world full of people who desperately need it. God grant that to, to each one of us for Jesus' sake. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus, your Savior, and your Prince of Peace. Amen.